0: Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot Podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. I spent 30 years in the police and I did a lot of interesting jobs during that time at many ranks. When I left the police, I wrote a book all about my experiences, the title of which, unsurprisingly, is Tango Juliet
1: Foxtrot, but you'll need to read the book to understand what TJF stands for. This podcast is all about British policing, the good, the bad, and the
0: ugly. If you're interested in what policing's really like, this is definitely
1: the podcast for you. In it, I interview lots of people who have done some amazing things in policing, and I also give you my thoughts on what's been going on in the news to help you understand how it all works, or doesn't work sometimes. Caution is advised, as some of the topics can be distressing, and there's some swearing from time to time. So, here we go. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 50 of the Tango Gillette Foxtrot Podcast, Half Century. Uh, Very exciting, um, landmark, who'd have thought it. Um, When you start doing something like this, you've no idea where it's going to go to, whether it's going to be successful, whether you're going to get pissed off with it, whether other people are going to get pissed off with it. Um, But no, it's been a really, really fantastic experience. And for now, I I tend to uh, think I'm just going to keep going with it. Uh, The frequency is something I probably just need to give some thought to Uh, if you've got any views on that I'd really appreciate hearing them is once a week too much Uh, I'll be honest sometimes trying to tee up guests to do it once a week can be tricky Uh, But equally there's something quite nice about about doing that once a week Um, the advertising uh, you've probably noticed uh, is uh, seems to be generating a bit of reaction which is good um, so that's a company that I'm actually working with and have been for quite a while and uh, really excited to uh, do stuff which I genuinely believe is going to make a big big difference to law enforcement not just in the UK but in all other countries uh, similar Western countries I would suggest Western democracies that's probably the best way of describing it. and I must admit I'm really enjoying getting back into the world of work again, uh, having had a little bit of a break um, during the kind of COVID period when things went a bit quiet. So yeah, looking forward to using my brain a bit more and hopefully getting out and about and meeting people, getting back into police forces and meeting people and talking police work. So this week, I'm going to be talking to David Howell. Uh, And I must first of all, just apologise to David that I got the um, sequencing of the podcast slightly wrong. i had actually interviewed David before I interviewed Hannah Bailey, uh, which is the one I put out last week. And um, it sounded a bit weird because I was discussing a podcast that I'd already interviewed, and David must have been sitting there thinking, well, why why wasn't I put out before Hannah then? Uh, Dead simple, just me screwing up the sequencing, uh, no other reason. But it's continuing that theme of people who have been in policing for a long time and who go on something of a journey of self-discovery, and David is no exception to that. He has got a really interesting background. He did his full 30 years in policing, uh, had some pretty uh, unpleasant experiences sort of towards the end, which he describes. And that really got him thinking about what what makes for good leaders in policing. And he's now doing a lot of really interesting stuff around... Um, I suppose I'll let him describe it. he would probably describe it better than me. But really, it's about uh, managing the complexity of an organisation like the police, and it doesn't have to be the police, it could be any organisation that deals with phenomenally complex issues. And anyone who's been in the police for any length of time will know just unbelievably how unbelievably complex policing has become. And uh, and I don't think uh, I'm saying anything terribly controversial here when I say that I don't think the leadership of the police has kept pace with the complexity of the things that they now have to do. And what David really is all about is looking at the individual, looking at the tasks that the individual is being expected to do, and then and, and having a very frank and honest assessment as to whether that person or that leader is in the right job, in the right part of the organisation. But anyway, I'll, I'll let him describe all of that. Um, before I do, just a couple of little things really. Um, a bit of a recommendation from me Uh, A friend of mine recommended this. It's on BBC Radio 4. Uh, It was a three-part series which uh, concluded this week, I believe. And the series is called Can the Police Keep Us Safe? And it's uh, an examination of where policing currently is in the UK, um, the context within which it finds itself, some of the history. And uh, I I was sort of, I laughingly described it to uh, a friend of mine that Uh, It it kind of covers the same issues that I cover in my book, but uh, this is more like the London Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, whereas my book is more like thrash metal with someone, you know, having a massive fit of anger and smashing everything up. Um, It's very balanced, incredibly intelligent assessment of, of where policing currently is. Uh, and I must admit, when I read about it, first of all, and I saw some of the names of the people in, involved in it, um, I was sort of kind of rolled my eyes a little bit, uh, not not least of which was Helena Helena Kennedy, Q, Kennedy QC, who, who historically has defended a lot of the sort of terrorist prisoners who I was probably involved in helping to lock up. Um, So I'm always slightly jaundiced about people like Helena Kennedy and Michael Mansfield and all of this lot. Um, But I must say, she did a really good job. And maybe she's been on something of a journey herself to sort of realise that actually the police operate within an ecosystem, uh, which is the same ecosystem within which uh, lawyers and barristers operate, uh, it feels like the whole thing is broken at the moment. So I'd really, really urge you to look that up on BBC Sounds. Uh, I say the, the series is called Can the Police Keep Us Safe? Massive recommendation. Right, let's get into the interview
2: with David. Morning, David. Morning, Ed. There we go. Press the right buttons.
0: <laughs> hey, there he is. How are you? You are all right? Hi, thank you. How are you? Look at all you with all your aviation themed pictures in the background.
2: Yeah, there's a I, I can there's a story behind that. This is the only room I'm allowed helicopter pictures in. Oh really?
0: You've been banned. You've been <laughs> banned. banned from every other room, have you? That's it. So uh,
2: yeah, it's nice having
0: them about. Just Yeah. So how are you? You well? Yeah, very good.
2: Yeah. Excellent. Lots going on. <laughs> It was Good, yeah, was looking forward to, to ahead at once. So. Good.
0: Well, looking forward to hearing all about that. So, um, yeah, you... welcome oh. to the podcast. Yeah, you've been on my on my list of people to get on. So, really pleased that uh, you're here today. Is that a hit, that a hit list? <laughs> <laughs> In the nicest possible way for yes. that. But um, yeah, so um, let me just well I'll tell you what you introduced yourself. Uh, I know who you are, but other people listening won't. So you introduce yourself, and um, and then we'll uh, we'll I'll tell you what I what I'm kind of interested in hearing all about. Really.
2: Yeah. No. No problem. Um, we are playing to the old fashioned way, shall we? Of, yeah. Yeah. Go on. There. Um, my my police career started in 1989. Um, in stoke-on-trent of all places it's what those days that you were, you were sent to the far end of your your own county if you joined the county so you wouldn't be open to bias and and not arresting the right people or you had influence on on somebody you'd stopped or whatever so i ended up in stoke so i was very very green uh, a bit of a mother's boy should we say so it was um uh, quite a shock to the system there's always yeah, something yeah. i wanted to do um yeah, yeah. i was so, uh, I mean, sorry go so
0: so yeah so um
2: you, you did did you do your
0: did you do your full 30
2: 30 yes 30 plus one i did one as a, a civilian i ended up doing a business change manager's post uh when staffordshire police introduced the niche um record management system so i went back in and, and did a bit of that for a year which were, which was fascinating to be honest and, and kind of Showed how you can transfer skills from the police service into a, a civilian role, which is, is something we're looking at as well, and how we transition from that almost institutionalized place of the police service out mm. into the that mad world out there that you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you've only kind of seen from one, one perspective, as it were. So yeah, yeah it was really I know you're
0: doing you're doing a lot of stuff around leadership and teamwork aren't you so you've t- sort of gone so that's sort of I just wanted to sort of get a high level kind of overview um, you know in terms of where you've come from and where you are yeah nice so let's let's go right back to square one then um, in terms of policing um so what was it that sort of propelled you into the police in the first place
2: Wow well I, I was um, training as a quantity surveyor to start with. Mm which again is a kind of a diverse thing. And it just wasn't for me. It was one of those occupations where they say, don't look out the window in the morning because you'll be, have nothing to do in the afternoon kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! And strangely enough, it was in Burton-on-Trent. And I worked in uh, an office called uh, Peel House, of all things, um, looking over the street and saw police officers walking down the street regularly past the office that that's something I'd, really like to do and the odd police car would go down there and that's the the days of that that yellow and white Ford Escorts and things like that so heady days heady days (laughs) I thought I'm going to do that I'm going to have a go at that because it's far better than what I'm doing now you just don't know what you're going to different people um, and a test and challenge for myself so much against my mother's better judgment I, I joined she didn't really want me to join so that's where it started that's Ended up being in Stoke. Uh, did that for four years. Fantastic place to work. Yeah. Fantastic people. Um, A great, uh, I'm looking back and reflecting is that how important your tutor constable is when you yeah, first yeah. join. And if you get that bond, which we had. And the bond came not through t- potentially policing, but through through sport. Yeah. Uh, we both loved football. I was reasonably good at it. So I kind of joined his uh, his football team. Yeah. And we got on like a, a house on fire, um, even, even met Sir Stanley Matthews on our travels in Stoke. So. Oh, really. so
0: so for anybody listening who doesn't know where the geography of what we're talking about, um, Staffordshire, which is where you were, Staffordshire Force. Yeah. So as, as many people will understand listening to this, but not necessarily, um, you've got 43 individual police forces in England and Wales and Staffordshire is one of them. And it's just sort of to the north of Birmingham, isn't it? Really?
2: Yeah, it kind of wraps itself to the um, the west as well. Kind of mm-hmm. that. There um, was a kind of one in around there, and comes up and heads up towards Cheshire, and you've got Shropshire on one side as well, and Derbyshire yep. and, and Leicestershire. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's that part of the country so
0: but stoke itself is quite a uh, quite busy isn't it in the sense it's quite a, mi- a real mix of of um issues going on there isn't there
2: yeah definitely um and certainly with the lack of investment, and it was the the pottery industry and the mining industry which took a, a big hit kind of the 80s so there was a, a lot of um issues around that and unemployment at that time so but they were fantastic people as well Um, like a lot of places if you get to know the people underneath Mm -hmm. uh, they're warm and help and want to help and and want to make the best of what they've got and um, yeah yeah. so
0: what so what was your sort of your career trajectory then after you did your four years in Stoke where did you go after that
2: it was totally unique, I don't, and I've kind of been writing about this and putting my re- reflections down, and I don't think anybody will probably replicate it, if, <laughs> if they'd ever want to, anyway. <laughs> but um, I went on to the motorway before it became what was the CMPG, the Central Motorway Police Group. Right. Um, in did that two years, got a little bit bored, be honest with it, travelling right. up and down the same road. It just wasn't for me. So I went uh-huh. to Lichfield, which is south of the county, and did their traffic department. Right. And was so fortunate. Look, again, plays a part in this. Um, found myself on the air support unit. Right. Um, one weird Sunday afternoon, we had a pursuit with a motorcyclist in Cannock. Yeah. Um, did a bit of an unofficial, this is for the podcast, unofficial kind of tea pack where we managed to get box the motorcyclist in, which is totally yeah. not, not the right thing to do. But he was safe. He just stood there between the two cars and yeah. um, just yeah. arrested him. Mm-hmm. And the aircraft, the brand new aircraft for Staffordshire and West Mersey, because it was a consortium then, uh, was overhead. So we said we'll go, we'll go down to the base at Hakeley Green, which is near Womborn, uh, and yeah. pick the, the the video up. Yeah. And the people down there again were fantastic, really enthusiastic about what they were doing, the new aircraft. And I said, any chance of a, a flying in the, in the helicopter? Because I wanted to join the Navy actually, years and right. years ago. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't wasn't to be. I wanted to fly, so this was a, just a fantastic opportunity, and mm-hmm. I did a couple of shifts with them. Um, went down on another time, and that's I just got my love of flying back and that passion, yeah. Yeah. and managed to become yeah. initially a, a reserve observer, as they were called now. They're now called uh, tactical flight officers, mm-hmm. um, and then 2005 became the very grand title of the deputy unit executive officer <laughs> for the base, <laughs> right. which is basically the sergeant running the base. Yeah,
0: but isn't that isn't that a great example of um you know someone who has a hankering to do something? Um, Clearly, that passion shines through to to the other people who are already doing it, and they think, well, this person would fit in really well here because mm. they because they completely get it and. Yeah, and then you make. I'm a great believer that in life you make your own luck, don't you? A lot
2: of the time, I do believe that. Yeah, you've got to put yourself out there, and rather than letting things come towards you, you've got you've got to go towards it, as it mm-hmm. were. Okay. Um, yeah. So you make your own luck. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so you so you might be the first traffic traffic officer we've had on the podcast, actually. Which you. is, yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> good. That's good. You I'll know, you I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, you know, I think I've expressed my views about what traffic used to be versus what it currently is now oh. before, you know, in the sense that, you know, I used to get frustrated years and years and years ago where traffic officers, in my view, because I was always involved. I was always interested in crime. Yeah. Um, uh, it used to frustrate me that traffic officers just had blinkers on when it came to crime They didn't mm. really, they were just fixated on uh, a minor traffic matter. And yeah. they could be dealing with the biggest sort of drug dealer in the world, but, you know, the bloke's got a, 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 all their interest in the fact he's got a, a flipping a, a, a ball tire or something, you know. And yeah. <laughs> boys, that's completely changed now, as we all know, you know, that traffic officers tend yeah. to be one of the few disciplines that still have the time and the inclination to actually get out there. And as they say... What's the expression? Deny the use of the road
2: to criminals, isn't it? Absolutely. And and you've, you've touched on something important to me. And, and that's, let's go back to say that the motorway wasn't for me. We had some fantastic crime stops hmm. um, and drugs and, and goodness knows what. But it just wasn't for me. And I love that self-initiated work, just finding something from nothing. Hmm. And going to Litchfield gave me that ability. Here you go. Have a car, Yeah, mm. here's your parameters and guidelines. Just go out and find what you can. <clears throat> yeah, there's that traffic element, and we had to do that. Mm. But the team down there, we had more arrests than CID. Really? Yeah. And the if you think of where Litchfield is geographically, a lot of crime is coming down the major arterial routes of the A38 yep. back into Birmingham. Yeah. And the crime that we prevented and stopped um, was just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And we were looking for it. And that's what we thrived on. And as a team, we, that success came from yeah. Those, yeah. those stops. Yeah, it's interesting
0: because yeah. um, gradually, 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 then the Central Waterway Patrol Group or Police Group, whatever you call it, CMPG, they kind of became like the overt arm of the regional organised crime unit in the mm. sense that they were constantly being tasked with taking out bodies on yeah. the basis of, you know intelligence to say right we believe this this vehicle's going to be coming down the M6 yes. somewhere somewhere mm. between this time and that time um you know you they'd plug it into their ANPR absolutely yeah. database and then off you go Bob Junkle yeah. isn't it and yeah. um you know and they had some fantastic arrests you know obviously uh-huh. generally on the basis of intelligence but um but not necessarily I think just because they they weren't getting tied up with all of the mundane stuff that lots of other cops tend yeah. to do nowadays, don't they?
2: That's it. Uh, and we were lucky on the A unit, we'd keep a dedicated channel open to the motorway group, hmm. because as you rightly say, the AMPR hits, as we used hmm. to call them, hmm. would come through and write, ah, they're going to that, there's this car coming south from wherever, um, yep, yep. could have a, a murder suspect on board, yep. or drugs yep. or firearms markers, and we'd be up in support, because Far better as to be overhead when something happens or yep. it doesn't stop than thinking ah we're five ten minutes behind the curve. Yeah, um, sitting at base waiting for the engines to wind up. It's so different. again, you, you make your own look, isn't it? It's a similar on yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. vein, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so your
0: early days. <clears> so just to timestamp this, this is about, yeah. so about two thousand and five when you go on the helicopter. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm. That's so, right. So yeah. What was
0: your what was your sort of bread and butter? Um, of uh, cuz i know we've had we've had one of your colleagues adrian please on previously yes, who yeah. wrote, uh he wrote a book all about um, his experiences in helicopters didn't uh-huh. he yeah above um, the law i've got it, i've got it here above the law isn't it that's what that's it's called it. isn't it there we go look there above the law adrian please yeah hi adrian if you listen to us yes. uh, yeah it's doing really well isn't it uh, it uh, is lesson. um uh, yes. Yeah, so what were your early sort of experiences like doing that? What were the sort of typical jobs you got involved in?
2: Yeah. Again, it's that autonomy at that point. We weren't part of EMAS, so we were a consortium, um, several forces. Because of the expense of the helicopter, uh, they were shared between forces, and ours was West Mercia and Staffordshire, and they right. and, we, stayed, and uh, we, we shared that that aircraft. The early days. Where there's a lot of searches obviously involved it's that's the unique mm-hmm. ability of the aircraft be it that for criminals or missing missing persons um mm-hmm. and we got involved in, in lots of things and we could take take the fight out mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. were to, to people um mm-hmm. and we and i think this is perhaps a little bit where people are going into pass here where they've lost a little bit they've lost that local connection yeah um, we did a lot of hydroponics looking for, for hot roofs, should we say, at, yeah, at yeah. night for cannabis plantations, etc. And having that link back into the force and mm. not being uh, a silo, if you like, and being mm. part of the everyday life of a force was was yeah, very important. Yeah. yeah. And, those those...
0: Two, and those two um, forces are predominantly rural, aren't they? Whilst you've got some sizable towns in both West Mercia and yeah uh, staffordshire they're predominantly rural areas aren't they
2: they are yes um but so a lot of missing people that, that again we tried to use some science behind it as well and and develop these things as well um mm. as well as things like cold water rescue and things like that so there're mm. exciting times and as the kind of the base manager sergeant as it were um you had that great autonomy to rightly or wrongly to kind of choose the people who came onto the base through recruitment yeah. process yeah. yeah 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 so you're going back to that like-minded self-motivated working for each other yeah kind yeah. of um yeah. well easy. it was seen as a
0: it was seen as a massively plum job wasn't it and oh on yeah that, on that basis you weren't going to just take any idiot were you
2: no um and we certainly had a, a good selection to to go through. I'm going to say and... we've
0: got a good selection of idiots, but was. Obviously...
2: <laughs> well hopefully, no. yeah. I mean, by by hook or by crook in, in a way. And it's probably less scientific as it as it could be or is now is getting the right person. Who is that right person for the job? And that's really mm. has taken me to where I am now in the work I'm doing now in yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to find out who, yeah, yeah. who that yeah, person is.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing hearing all about that. So yeah. so in terms of your career, so obviously you joined in uh did you say 89?
1: 89. So
2: by,
0: by that stage you had what about 16 years service my math is shit, isn't it? Um yeah. 16 years, about that. yeah, we'll
2: call it about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you were sergeant by that stage. It was, okay. I was. Yeah. Yeah. So you then uh were part of that transition between uh that consortium that you described between West Mercy and Staffordshire and moving into this national thing called the National Police Air Service, N-PASS. Is that what mm-hmm. it is? I'm assuming that's what it stands for, isn't it? That's it. That's what Yeah. So, so um, Adrian talked a little bit about that whenever he was on um, and, you know, didn't paint a particularly positive picture about that. What was your experiences?
2: we were lucky to start with because we we beat the cut as it were and we wanted the bases that remained open and and there's there's two ways of looking at it i'm I'm still open-minded about this i i i think the way that it was done could have been a a whole lot better and again this goes to the heart of what we're doing now is understanding and using that potential of the people that are there and the experience and the knowledge and i don't think that was tapped into it was a case of right You used to be, we used to be called the Central Counties, a operations unit, right? All the badges, all the insignia, all that history is going, you now and pass don't have have any files or any kind of memorabilia or anything to that. So they they lost a lot of the goodwill Mm -hmm. of the people at each base. But I can see why it was done, because we were in the days of austerity. And some of those bases probably would have been closed anyway. We were close to being closed by Staffordshire. They just weren't prepared to put the, the money into air into mm-hmm. support. So in a way, if you look at it that way, we, we had a, a stay of execution to some mm-hmm. extent. But it could have been done so much better. And working in organizational development and the training, I, I used to love crew resource management training. I was as a trainer on that. And it comes down to people, and if they'd been handled properly hmm. initially, rather than for want of a better phrase, bullied or changed, implemented onto them, it yeah. could have been a whole different, whole different world. Yeah. And not, I know some people will say it's it's better now. Some people will say it's worse. But it would have been a different beast yeah. as it's evolved to be at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your did your work. Um change significantly in terms of the geographical kind of remit that you were given
2: it did and and that's that was the for the better to be honest mm. um there's a, a weird thing we used to find because birmingham used to have its helicopter or still does at birmingham airport
1: mm.
2: now if you think geographically we would we would pass them going to a job on staffordshire in tamworth mm-hmm. and they would be going to a job at wolverhampton yeah now, if you think if they both basic both helicopters lifted, mm-hmm. they would see both those places from their own base. Yeah, so it yeah. would have been a lot. And, and this is how MPAS worked with this kind of borderless um, operation. Birmingham aircraft would have be been far better going to Tamworth, could be there in five minutes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We'd be the same for, for Wolverhampton. So our chances of success of whatever that task was be it a criminal, finding a person, whatever would have been far greater chance of success by just lifting and going to the nearest place closest to you. So that was the the huge positive where those bases ended up being, which bases were closed. And there's a lot of politics involved in that has, how should we say not this destroyed is a very strong word, but um, Mm -hmm. it's certainly a shadow of its former self and not, potentially offering the, the benefits that it used to. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. offices on the ground, and that's what we were helping as well, yeah. thinking, well, I'm not going to wait half an hour for an aircraft here mm, uh, when I need to be doing other things. So they get, aircraft get called less and less. Mm. So the people at the bases get more frustrated because they're not actually having Maybe that is, success yeah. that they enjoyed before. So mm, we'd well, enter mm. a job, it's a tick-the-box. Um, it, we might get cancelled five minutes before we get there. So you're going with that wrong motivation, really, yeah, of yeah. rather than a high success, well, more a high um, mm-hmm. chance of failure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and did you find because uh, you were working presumably you would have travelled around and and sort of worked with quite a few different forces given the the, yeah. nas- the national remit of the unit? Did you find this is I always find the. Um, variety of working practices a language used all of this kind of stuff it's sort of very much takes on a local flavor doesn't it i mean so for example when i moved up from the met to the west midlands uh, i had no clue what people were talking about um, the language the operational language is very different the, the the things they use to describe um like for example they would describe uh, in met in the met they would talk about prisoners you know uh-huh. a person who's been arrested as a prisoner yeah, uh, in 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 the uh, in the West Midlands it was PICs, so yeah. person in custody. So yeah. I, I heard PIC, I had no idea what people were talking about. Um, I uh, um, in, Met, in the Met they would talk about a victim. You know, I appreciate sure that's probably quite old-fashioned language, really, isn't it? Um, but in the in the West Midlands they would talk about IPs, so injured party. Yeah. So so uh, if you said if somebody said the PIC is on the way to hospital and the IP, we're taking a statement from the IP now. I would have no fucking clue what, what they're on about. Did you find when you were working with all these different forces that you had, you had
2: language difficulties? It did take some getting used to. Um, I was lucky, um, as I say, going back to that crew resource management training, I, I managed to get to a lot of bases and, and do their training for them. Um, so that was a, a great insight for me but they would have the same frustrations that's that was the common denominator um and i was lucky my last three years were spent working over london at Lippitt's hill uh and they were the last base to come on board with empass and that for me was a culture shock th- mm. definitely um i, I <laughs> as an aside my my nickname when i went down there if you ever watched Hot fuzz was sergeant angle oh yeah <laughs> I was reverse sergeant angle because I came from uh, a, an- a carrot crunching county force. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to the metropolitan force, although it wasn't direct for them, but it was really their, their air-, air base still. But I think if you give give people time, um, mm. they they certainly understand. And there's, again, great people down there the, yeah. who are passionate about the job, want to make a difference. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And, yeah. There was some kind of colloquial kind of language I had to get used to, and uh, so you were so you went down to London. That's interesting. So
0: did you have to relocate lock, stock, and barrel to do that?
2: No, Um, I I lived on the base for three years. Did you? And and basically drove down generally on a a Monday morning at four thirty in the morning, get down there for generally half seven, eight o'clock, spend. Condense my hours. We had three base managers there. Hmm. Condense my hours and come back on a Thursday or Friday.
0: All right. Okay. So, Gosh, so that's week. quite quite intense, and really, you never really—if you're actually living there—you're never really getting away from it, are you?
2: No. um That has its positives and negatives. um Because so I was kind of working twelve-hour shifts, but the best place to go and <clears throat> kind of socialise was in the in the the camp canteen as it were when the night shift so I got the day shift and the night shift so right there's that continuity um and be able to talk to people and understand what what was going on and and develop those relationships as mm. well because they were yeah they were suspicious of me when I went down because I just joined MPASS and I'm sure they thought I was a bit of a, a spy in the camp reporting back to Wakefield so mm. it took a while to adjust and and When they realise you've got their interests at heart, yeah, then it it changes. And And, um,
0: at that stage, were you sort of doing largely kind of admin type role or were you still able to get up in the air?
2: On occasion, I'd I'd love to get in the air. So I had to learn a new aircraft. It's a different aircraft, different technology on board, uh, different procedures. That was the biggest thing for me because the London aircraft is totally unique. If you think, you, you, you know, you've been down there, you're Notting Hills, mm. um, major events. Yeah. I was lucky to fly with the the um, entourage with Barack Obama. That was a, a huge thing. Right. Westminster Bridge terrorist attack I was involved in and, and mm. Grenfell Tower. So hu- huge events, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a weird thing. You can get rather blasé about what you go to each day. Yeah. Mm. Because they were bringing in prisoners, um, as it were, and catching moped um, um, criminals, as it were, yeah. Yeah. day in, day out. Yeah. And that was the norm. That's Oh, you're going to arm robbers. That's the norm. Whereas within the county forces, that's probably a, a, rare, a rare thing. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I needed to um, make sure that they were recognised for that as well. So yeah. That was yeah. one big thing as well. But a lot of it was, was admin. Yeah, Um, yeah, and welfare—amazing at sergeant level. Most kind of seventy percent is welfare.
0: (laughs) Tell me about (laughs) it. Tell me about it. My God, Uh, I had um, when I was a sergeant. I had um, I ended up. I ended up running two teams. My partner sergeant got swiped off to go on go to CID. So I ended up. I was a newly promoted sergeant, um, relatively new. I was about three or four months in the rank, and then Mm -hmm. three or four months in the force as well. So it was all new to me. And I ended up winning his team as well as my own team, so I ended up running, and it was brilliant. It was a, it was absolutely the making of me in, the, in that in in that role because you sink or swim, don't you? And yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was really. But yeah, talking about the welfare and the HR stuff. I mean, it's all oh some of the grief, some of the grief that you end up having to deal with. You oh. know, people's personal lives and um, some of the. Unbelievably stupid things that they end up doing, maybe not intentionally, but just like through lack of experience, or um you know, I'm sure you didn't have that in the helicopters because most of the people you're going to be dealing with are going to be super experienced, I would imagine. But Don't yeah, it. it's uh, it's certainly <laughs> never a dull moment as a sergeant, is there?
2: But the worst time I used to dread bad weather, or if the aircraft was away for maintenance, mm-hmm. when people were flying and doing the job focused they were brilliant Mm. when and if you think how we recruited people we were after the kind of the cream those self-motivated could deal with complexity and 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 elements Mm. and and really quite the bright spots It almost like a a tier or rank above that that rank Mm because of what you were doing and yeah yeah you're sitting above there over a serious incident you are the almost the commander so Mm. you've got to have that presence and ability to communicate and and pass on the important messages which yeah. is life and death on occasion yeah. yeah yeah but when they had nothing to do <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds very familiar
2: yeah yeah they got up to trouble and they'd find yeah. things to do or they'd worry about things or f- find problems with stuff that weren't there yeah yeah and that's not just in the london base that was at my own base and yeah. you used to dread fog and right, they've been fogged in all night. What am I going to come into the day after? And
0: yeah. things like that. Oh yeah. Well, that was if it makes you feel any better, it was no different in in some of the units I worked in over the years, you know. So even the one that springs yeah. to mind most is probably uh in special branch in the counterterrorism world when it was busy, uh, which it was quite a lot of the time back in those days, to be fair. Um, everyone was really on it, you know. Mm. And uh, I've never known a group of people who were so hungry for getting stuck in, you know, super professional. Yeah. yeah, But if you had a period of I remember after the IRA, the the period that sticks in my mind is after the IRA ceasefire, the second IRA ceasefire and the Good Good Friday Agreement. And before the dissidents got got going, um, they had this period of kind of like nothing much happening. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was a nightmare, and uh, and some of the some of the stupid, pointless operations that would be set up to try mm-hmm. and all almost just to try and keep people busy, you know. Yes. Um, but everybody could see that they were bollocks, you know. Yeah. It was a way, it was all just nonsense, and uh, oh yeah, some of the talk about the devil making work for idle hands. Oh my God. Yeah. You know.
2: Again, it it could be down to again on on reflection, is you've got a group of creative people who want to make a difference and how is that vented how is that released Mm -hmm. within those times that there's nothing happening and you've got that kind of peak curve of when things are happening that's great But you've got that element of being under challenged and over challenged and that's where your burnout kind of hits yeah yeah
0: yeah, you've got
2: that under challenged
0: what we're going to do today? Oh yeah, boredom is it. Boredom's yeah. a killer. Boredom's a killer, isn't it? For 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 people who who by who by nature by temperament want to be really busy and um, get stuck in. And some of the most dysfunctional times I can remember, dysfunctional teams or individuals, were during those periods of time when there wasn't much happening, it was mm. like you know it was exactly the same back in the old days on on a quiet night duty. You know, yes. when you've got in London or whatever, you've got nothing. And the radio dead. There's nothing happening. And, and at 100% is devil makes work for idle hands. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, if there wasn't much happening, there would be, you know, I remember some, I won't sort of embarrass anybody, you know, but um, some of the outrageous kind of stupid stuff that people would get up to you know, yeah. um, I remember I remember one night duty in 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 January February. It was freezing cold, um, icy. Uh, you know that sort of weather. It's very quiet. Nobody wants to be out. No. It's, it's, even the criminals don't want to be <laughs> out, do they? Um, um, and we were all out um, driving around, pulling handbrake turns. Yeah. In in, uh, in the Sainsbury's car park uh-huh. uh, in Wandsworth, I think it was. And uh, driving around the car park, and then do, doing these like, how many times can you handbrake, turn the car, and get spinning, you know, three hundred and sixty degrees, and all this nonsense. Oh, we, we, the, never do we never did that. Never did that. And the security guards came out of the supermarket and told us to fuck off. <laughs> they said, with the with the best will in the world, could you fuck off? You know, yes. and <laughs> it's like telling the police to fuck off because yes. they were like just acting like a bunch of teenagers, you know. Yeah.
2: Or did he did he start pushing trolleys around with the cars? That's a good one. But, I'm one. no, that's just a rumor I, I heard That was uh, that's yeah.
0: funny, isn't it? Yeah so so anyway, um you uh, if you don't mind me to sort of um disclosing so when, when we spoke before, you had you had a bit of an unhappy time of it towards the end in, in yes. pass and, and things kind of didn't kind of you know they weren't as I don't know weren't working as well for you personally as you would have hoped um are you happy enough to talk a little bit about that
2: by all means yeah because that kind of follows into where i am now and and what i'm trying to uh with with others trying to to help with which mm-hmm. is yeah so not a problem at all in fine
0: so so what so what was going on there then that, that made you feel like that
2: yeah i I, I locked horn, should we say, with a, a senior officer with, mm-hmm. in EMPAS um, over what people could see as, as perhaps something, something minor, which was the changing of base manager shifts. And if you think there's only 15 of us across the country. So I took a step back and thought, this is going to affect probably half of those base managers. Some will have to leave. Some because of the travel they did to, to work and back um, and the shift pattern um, being implemented. So I, I put an alternative solution um, and just try to pick up on the detail. Well, if, if you're going to lose half of your base managers, can I canvass them as well? Because we all talked with each other. We were mm. all friends, most of us. And over the years, you build up those relationships. Kind of a, mm. Every contact leaves a trace, doesn't it? And um, I just kind of pointed out it's going it to probably cost you X amount to retrain, recruit, and perhaps twelve months, two years before somebody's comfortable in in that post if they're coming from a non aviation background because it's a, a different world and another different language to lu- to use really. Um, and I just got shot down in flames really, um, mm. which left me very battered and battered and bruised. Mm. Um, and resulted in me having to go and, and have a meeting with that, that officer, which was a two-hour, as I put it, kind of interrogation and fighting for my career, mm. um, everything I'd kind of worked for. And bearing in mind, I've only got two years left to do, so I didn't really yeah. want to, to leave on such a, a low note. Mm-hmm. Um, I took some advice before I, I went and, and spoke to uh, a professor called Clyde Body, um, mm. worth looking upon on, on TEDx. And in terms of corporate psychopathy and, and bullying, and I mm-hmm. just by chance again came across it and thought, "Wow, that's what I'm dealing with." Because I wanted mm-hmm. to go in and say, "Well, this is how we can do things." I wanted to be positive in that meeting um, yeah, yeah. and give my point of view and how things could be better and how we could use people better and get their use their talent and experience and, and knowledge to to build the organization um, really. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah this is not the person I'm going to have any kind of joy with that. And the yeah. professor gave me two pieces of advice. One was to go take a witness, which I mm. did, um, and also be- become a detached witness. Don't get emotionally embroiled in the mm. conversation. And yeah. it was, it was like walking a tightrope. Mm. Um, and that person was trying to find a way to remove you from my post in terms mm. of, oh, you can't deal with the stress, you're stressed. Um, mm. It's a safety specific role so how can we have you you there um but I managed to walk that tightrope they said they would email me bear in mind I was traveling back from Wakefield down to Staffordshire mm-hmm. um I'll email you by the end of the day I did get an email that it said um, unfortunately I've been busy you'll have to wait till tomorrow for my decision so that seemed to be kind of mind games yeah me. yeah all day long uh, uh eventually got it kind of lunchtime the day after and i read through it thought that's it there's four pages i thought oh that's it i'm, I'm going back to kind of Staffordshire place and leaving what I, I love to do with the people I, lo- I loved as well um but the last few lines were said well if you do this again we'll have to look at it seriously so it kind of <laughs> again it's these mind games why yeah. we're on the same side we're trying to do the same job and trying to work together yeah um and basically I was staying, but tread across the, the line. It leaves,
0: again. A, it leaves a bit of tears in your mouth, doesn't it? When things like that It happen.
2: did, yeah. Very, very bruised. Um and I eventually left. That that person eventually had a disciplinary meeting due to allegations made against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I left the week before. I said, right to myself. And it was a great decision I made, actually. I wish I'd done it before. Mm-hmm. But before Somebody dictates what I do or where I go. I'm going to take my own destiny into my own hands. Sounds a bit dramatic, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: no, that's
2: true. But um, I felt relieved that I'd made mm. my own decision. Um, mm. <clears throat> and that's when I went back to Staffordshire and and worked within organizational development for, mm. for six months. So mm. but yeah, it was it was a did leave with a nasty taste. But but since then the work i've done in in understanding how i got into that position yeah and having context around it has yeah. been phenomenal and yeah. i'd go kind of, to be honest just, it sounds very strange i'd probably go and shake his hand now <laughs> yeah i know
0: i know exactly what you mean And because these things was they're horrible horrible to live through you learn so much from it and that's not to say I would recommend anybody no, sort of no. put themselves willingly into these situations. Oh because no, it's, because it's horrible, isn't it? Really yes. horrible. There's some dark um, days, but yeah. you hundred um, percent can use it as a vehicle for uh self-learning and growth and all of that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. and it's funny because I've had you know I'm not this is about you, it's not about me, but you know as you know if anybody reading the book. Um, I've had some dark times, you know, periodically oh. through course of my service and life, as yeah. as many people have, mm-hmm. you know. And um, yeah, I, I don't actually um, regret any of that, really. You know, I, I, I think I've used so much of that to, um, you know, to to sort of learn about myself. And and it's funny because I I think all of that stuff gave me sorry I'm talking about myself now it's so <laughs> about me but, uh, it gave me the um, drive to do this yeah. you know yeah. because because I'm passionate about policing genuinely passionate about it and yes, passionate about the people who mm-hmm. do that job it's not about yeah. policing it's I'm passionate about the people yes. and um and I think there's so much to celebrate and 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 I came across so many dreadful people along the way who uh, I just think do, 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 did the sort of things that you're describing, you know. So mm-hmm. so listen, mo- moving on to let's because yeah. it's a good time then to sort of pivot in the modern parlance, pivot yes. into um, into what you're doing now. So so describe. Um, exactly sort of what you're what you're up to now
2: yeah um going on from what we we're just talking about i i was so fortunate to go through a set of psychometric assessments um offered by um a gentleman i'm working with in south africa Junior chairman hmm. and on via linkedin and i'd only just retired and i'd done psychometrics before i mean we probably all have a over the years and if it were red green blue x y tiger supporter captain whatever and i'm a little bit reticent but this was nothing like i'd ever done before experience because it took into account or allowed me to talk to myself it wasn't somebody saying oh yes you're this you're this and boxing you off into a, a, Mm. a certain kind of parameters and it looked at my eyesight peripheral vision how i dealt with stress um, yes there's an element of personality in there but what we say is that we don't have a personality it's constantly in flux and and, and being changed mm. so we can't box people off to say you're this or that mm. you can understand and have the context as to why we're behaving like that and acting like that due to the set of circumstances we're in at the time yeah. again going back to my my bullying is th- that was a unique set of circumstances and I behaved in a certain way
0: yeah
2: but also based under that is the preferences we have and I, I found out that I was I could operate in the complexity level so I liked solving problems I liked dealing with people as as, as we both do and, and that passion for that passion for injustice as well which mm-hmm. it's
0: which can also be a terrible burden can't it
2: absolutely yeah and being creative can be your Achilles heel because I look back at that time and think, ah, yes, I came up with a, a solution and thought, I've got a solution, I've got a solution, I can see through this mm-hmm. with perhaps more non-linear thinking than a linear thinker. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to A, B, C, D and E. I can think, ah, if we do that, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to point out, but it got me into trouble.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're having that conversation with someone who's never had an original thought in their head in their life, Yes. Then then it's never gonna it's never gonna land, is it?
2: That's right. And I didn't appreciate perhaps the stresses they were under at home, be it at work. Had they been put in that position to save money rather than kind of look at the human aspect and they were just going about their job. So context is a is a huge thing. And again, perhaps I didn't respect or understand the context that they were coming from, and vice versa. So that's mm. why you lock horns and it ends up certainly in a in a a rank and hierarchical based institution you're never going to win yeah
0: and that's the thing isn't it and that's the thing that um what i find very refreshing about my so my wife works for uh, a large american corporation let's leave it Mm at that and um and she's worked for uh, another large american corporation before that for many many years over 20 years um and the thing that i find refreshing about organisations that are not the police is that people are much more challenging of each other and that there isn't this rank thing that gets in mm-hmm. the way. I mean, yes, you have to be um, aware that someone further up the sort of food chain, so to speak, uh, has got a certain ability to make your life difficult, I suppose, if mm-hmm. they want to. But there is definitely a much more free flow, free flow of thoughts, ideas, viewpoints and challenge within mm. the private sector, I think, then I mean, there's probably people listening to us who work in the private sector, and they'll be screaming, going, oh, yes. not in my organisation. That's isn't. right. But, yes. But, uh, mm. but, but I definitely think the police uh, is particularly bad for this because mm. of that rank structure. And there is this viewpoint that if I'm a chief inspector, or a superintendent you have to listen to me and I will force you to listen to me regardless of whether I'm talking bollocks or not you know what I mean
2: the, this is the the problem we we sit with and again there, there are some great leaders out there and who who want to make a difference I I feel that we have so much overpromotion if that we just in any organisation, and probably specifically the police, is because it's done on a linear basis. Mm. It's done on a, a regurgitation of information, and it's done on personality. And also we get this mini-me kind of ethos that to be a chief officer or whatever, I need to look like them, I need to behave like them. Mm. And they're just following a, following a pattern. There's no room for innovation down here mm. because you're then seen as a, an outlier, Hmm. um so the processes and and they themselves are almost a, a victim going back to victims or IPS of the system that the police have built
0: I think it's a form of Stockholm syndrome I think I think they're so um they're so sucked into that mindset that they they probably at a deep level know that it's 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 nonsense but they are so invested in the process of getting promoted mm. that they have to. I mean, it was embarrassing. I'm sure you can remember. I mean, obviously, I, I remember seeing people going for. It was particularly evident at the chief inspector promotion process or the superintendent promotion process, where there was this sort of shameless mimicking or aping of some of the most corporate people in the organization Mm -hmm. at a higher rank. And it was shit, this sort of shameless sucking up to certain individuals who were perceived to be able to give them a bit of a leg up in the promotion stakes. And you just just wanted to, you just wanted to go up to them and give them a shake and just say, hello. You know, it's like, who, who are, who are you? You know, who really, who, who who really are you? That's probably terrible English, isn't it? But you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry anyway so so you, so this you talk use that word linear I've heard you and I've seen quite a lot of stuff on on LinkedIn you talking with this kind of idea of linear thinking so just sort of expand on that a little bit
2: yeah it's it's very much a, a pattern and focus based kind of thought process it's not as we're looking at it in terms of that creativity and, and drawing in different ideas joining dots as we call it Mm. And there's an idea over here. There's an idea over here. That person's got that idea. How do we join them? Do they join? Or is there somebody else that's something that's missing here? And having that creative and innovative kind of picture on on things to solve problems.
1: Mm.
2: And that's not to say that that's not downgrading people who are linear or or non-linear. We need each other. Mm. Because you tend to find those linear people in a specialist role, very much as a silo kind of mentality that... They've got great expertise in one thing, but they can't see out here and they can't see out here. So they haven't got that 360. And what we end up having is people with a a more nonlinear mind getting promoted. And what we actually need is more nonlinear minds to, to be there, but to draw together and get that bigger 360 picture of what's going on. So we're not missing risk, basically. Or we're setting seeds and trying to come up with new solutions that haven't or they might have happened before, but we need some extra initiative and insight into it and and building on knowledge of those people on the front line as well. So, going back to that linear, non linear, we need both, Mm. Mm. but we need to know where they sit within organization because whatever system we've got and we're working with, and the police is just one system. It's how we overlap that with the people on top of it. Who are we promoting? Who are we recruiting? We need to know that inside, what we call inside to outside perspective, not me judging you and saying, yeah, you'll be a good officer. Let them tell us they're going to be a good officer by looking at them in terms of that mind, body, and soul, having that deep reflection and deep insight into them. How are they going to deal with stress? Do they deal with stress? Do they fall over at the first sign of trauma or do they fall over downstream when they've had that time to reflect? Because mm. that have a, a huge bearing. What's their cognitive ability? And you look at the police officer now, their kind of omnicompetence, as it were, when they join, is phenomenal what they have to go to and, and are faced with. How are they going to face it? How are they going to look for patterns? How are they going to look for new solutions to it? So it's... Mm. I think I've spoken about it before and I did a post is that there's a lot of negativity in police forces and my own force, the old force, is going into special measures as well, apparently. It's an exciting time. If they if they grab the opportunity to ask the right people and the right questions, yeah. It's an exciting time. Yeah, I suppose really my I suppose my
0: fear. I suppose my fear with all of this is that um I think everything you said is, is really interesting, and there's a lot you can unpack that. You know, way, way, way more. Um, I suppose my what I'm seeing at the moment is um, they are using different analogies. That the the building is on fire. Uh They are everyone's desperately trying to put the fire out, but but no one really understands. um, You know how to fundamentally. That I think it feels to me like the system is broken at, at, in so many different ways. So if you look at policing at the moment, uh, I think the key thing is, is around resources. Uh, you know, we've got the lowest number of police officers per, I think is it 100,000 members of the public in Europe. I think the average in Europe across 32 countries is 357 or something like that. And we've got... England, Wales, we've got 228. So, not only with the lowest in Europe, but we're, we're the lowest by a long, long way. So, so we don't have enough people. Um, the resources being given to them are inadequate. Um, the There are other multiple areas of um, those sort of partner agencies that are also underfunded and under resourced uh, that are then sort of dropping demand into the bucket that the police then have to sort of try and manage. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and against the backdrop of all of that, you've got uh, a very fragmented sort of governance structures. um, You know, you don't have to look at the, the, the the unbelievable nonsense going on at the moment with the, trying to recruit the the new commissioner and the, 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 the home secretary and the, mayor of London, or are, are sort of are not at all on the same page, but they're both influential in terms of that yeah. process. And so, so it feels to me that whilst everything you say is absolutely correct, the the, the the prevailing climate, I suppose, is so toxic at the moment that it's going to be make it very hard to for people to stop trying to put... You know, throw water on the flames yeah. of the building. Does that yeah. does that all make sense?
2: It doesn't. It's a it's a great analogy. And yes, the, the, the building's on fire, but nobody is working out where that fire is coming from. Yes, it's complex. It is unbelievably complex, but there's nobody. They're rushing up to the fire with the fire engine, getting everything out of the fire engine and trying to douse it down. Hmm. Nobody's turning up with the fire engine to say right whoa just a minute let's find out where the smoke's coming from what's the root cause of this fire Mm -hmm. rather than treating the flames let's treat the the actual root cause of it and nobody is taking that one moment to take a step back and and this kind of leads nicely to the the course we ran last week and we did the psychometrics with with each of the people on board so sorry
1: which just describe what course you were doing
2: We were doing, um, because my training's um, kind of background is crew resource management, but it it was deeper than that because the the physical course was stage three. We'd done a debrief with each of them and gone through the full suite of psychometrics with them. What we found, and this reflects on... on Sorry, sorry, these are police police officers. officers, Yes, sorry, yeah. Um, What we found was they were all being very reactive and not reflective. They weren't being given the time to take that step back and look at what they were doing, why they were doing it, who's the right person to do it, who do they need to call in. There was no moment of reflection to say, whoa, before we go rushing into this fire, Mm -hmm. which which door do we need to go into? What Mm -hmm. appliance do we need to use? What type of foam or water or CO2 do we need to use? Are you the Mm -hmm. right person to actually put the fire out? and building those teams to then impact the fire mm-hmm. and actually take it at the core and, and, and sort it out. And it's I think that's reflective of a lot of things we do. We just don't slow down to speed up. Mm-hmm. You could be putting that fire out for two weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: If you took the time to take a step back, it might just take you a week. Yeah. And also it won't come back because yeah. we're going to hit the, the root cause of it and remove it.
0: I mean, I think um, I was listening to Radio Four this morning, and there was an interview with Andy Cook, the Chief Inspector of Constabulary. Uh-huh. Um, and I, 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 I've got massive amount of respect for him um, personally. I think he's a he's a fantastic leader. He's he's a it seems he seems like a thoroughly decent human being. Uh, highly respected um, by his colleagues. Yeah. And in and, and pretty much everything that Tom Windsor probably wasn't, arguably, um, and but even he, it was. I was listening to his choice of words. He was obviously being super careful about his choice mm-hmm. of language because he's. You know, I, I get it. You know, he's he's the chief inspector of constabulary for God's sake, so he, he has to be very independent in his thinking. He has to, you know, um, walk a very delicate tightrope politically. Uh-huh. Uh, to make sure he doesn't piss the Home Secretary off um, to the point where she just sacks him. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's he yeah. got, he 100%, he has got the best interests of the police service at heart, 100%. I firmly believe that. Mm. But it feels that even he, and he's been quite outspoken uh, for someone in his position relatively, you know, compared to most of them, who wouldn't say boo to a goose. If it, if it you know risk them losing their QPMs or their bloody knighthoods or whatever. Um, but it does feel that even someone at that highest level of influence is still unbelievably restricted in terms of what they mm. can say, you know
2: Yeah, they, they've got a reputation to to keep um, mm. and they don't want to go out on a failure. Mm. So that is suppressing some of that creativity and innovation. Okay, let's try this, let's try that. And and that's again is reflected through police forces and, and some of the assessments we've done is that they want to be creative and investigative in their nature. But because they're as, as I see it, they're they're in a, a cruising or kind of self-preservation protectionism mode. Mm-hmm. They're not going out there to do the exciting and have some fun and try new things mm-hmm. because. One, it'll get stamped on, and they're not putting themselves out. That sounds very wrong, but put themselves out to go that extra, extra kind of few yards, as it were, because Mm. it's being suppressed, Mm. and and that itself breeds this kind of burnout because they end up being self frustrated. Mm. Onto it because that I I want to go out and do something different, but I just haven't got the will. Um, It's not going to be appreciated. Well, they
0: have to operate within us. They have to operate within a particular framework that mm. is kind of cast in. It's not cast in stone. I mean, very little in life is cast in stone, but it's but it's certainly cast in something that is not going to be easy to change. Mm. So, for example, crime recording uh, rules are set by oh, the Home yeah. Office, mm-hmm. which which means that um, you know we now arguably I say we as if I'm still in the zone, the police um spend a huge amount of their time uh, report just kind of gathering information and data and yeah. crime records yes. and 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 it's become now more important to the home office that they get data quality around crime reporting right rather than actually solve the crimes that are most, Concerning to the public. I mean, if the public knew how much effort goes into just making sure that we adhere to the data quality rules set by the Home Office. So, I suppose the point I'm making there in a a long winded way is that we can be as creative as we like individually, but if the rules are set somewhere else and there's no sign of those rules changing, then you're always going to be limited about how creative you can be, I suppose.
2: Yeah, that there, there needs to be that groundswell. And and this is what we're we're trying to do is tap into what's happening on the front line. And there's there's some fantastic one one of them is called haya in in China. And they're almost well they are they're kind of autonomous teams, self managing teams. And if you kind of relate that and also there's something called Bertzog, which is a, a care um company in Holland against self-managing teams. And if they get bigger than 12 or 15, they split up mm. and they they use the best kind of information experiences and, and people to form another group. And it kind of morphs into, into bigger um kind of systems. But if you think you said right, okay, let's let's have a, a local team they they're a local policing team in a community. They know the problems they're having, they know what they need. They know um, how to deal with it. They've got the solutions, and they've and they've got the problems to deal with. Give them the, the parameters to be creative. Yeah, you've got certain parameters in terms of professional standards and legal side and things like that. But go and be creative. You know the problems that they're facing. Go out and face it, and we'll support you. And we'll and that's the for me is the role of that that leader. And and even get to the point where you if you went into that team, you wouldn't know who the leader was. Hmm. Hmm. but give them the autonomy to go and try something different. They know it. The creativity will be in that team. The answers, as we found last week within the course, the answers are in the room time and time again. Put the Hmm. right people together in the right atmosphere, the right environment, give them the space to to talk and reflect, and Hmm. they will come up with the answers. Hmm. And this is what we're missing out on. Going back to your analogy again, we're not taking the time to work out where the fire is. Mm-hmm. Ah, there's a fire. Right, you go.
0: <laughs> so do you do you mind me asking, I mean, you don't have to name the individual forces because it's probably commercially confidential, but um, is there? A, do you detect an appetite um, to embrace this type of thinking in the clients that you're talking to?
2: Most definitely, yeah. And, it, and it's not just the police services or the public services that we're currently speaking to right. um, because if, if you create the right space and give people time which they're on the, the everyday hustle and bustle of life and they need to be seen to be doing something we need to be seen to be busy we need to be moving forward when in mm. fact they're not moving forward they're actually standing still if, if worse they're actually moving backwards by not having that time to reflect and talk to each other and understand who's in the team and what they've got to offer
0: hmm.
2: and perhaps sometimes why conflict arises. Cause it's a lot of it is frustration. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and not understanding who's sitting next to you. You might've known them for 20 years, but you don't know how they operate and uh, what makes them tick yeah. Um, yeah, and what's going on at home as well. We can't, can't forget that either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there is
2: an appetite uh, and that's really encouraging. Yeah. Um, you talked
0: about the psychometric test that you did um, yeah. is there is there a resource that you can sort of point people to or kind of if if I if I or someone wanted to put themselves through that process is there something that you can kind of point to is, there, is it online or
2: the 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 baseline one that we do just that initial, well-being engagement of staff is is a five minute we do also do a preferencing one as well what are your personal preferences so this is about you in the context of the organization and where you are with your life and work at the moment and that's mm-hmm. their kind of five minutes a piece if anybody wants to have a look at those come through the the website and, and make contact and i'll i can send them out
0: yeah, yeah. well, well i'll put up. i'll put your um details in the podcast yeah. notes um yeah before we, it goes live, but yeah, I mean, I I think all I, I mean, one of the things, going, going back to that interview on Radio 4 that, from Andy Cook this morning, um, one of the things he said was, he was and I know why he said it, because he doesn't want to, he wants to kind of he doesn't want to crush police officers because I think they've been crushed quite enough but one mm. of the things he said was um, the police service in this country is not failing and I thought, hmm I'm not sure about that, you know, um, because by almost every benchmark, it it seems to be failing, you know, in the sense that public satisfaction's gone, you know, dropping like a stone. Um, Crime resolution is at 6% of total recorded crime, Mm -hmm. albeit that, you know, we're we're recording a lot more crime than we ever did before because of, again, those data quality rules that the Home Office uh, mandate. Uh, Officer well-being, is is not good mm-hmm. um there's a, a large attrition rate of people leaving the organization yeah. we've got seven thousand odd detective vacancies nationally you know by almost every benchmark mm. the organization is is not if we're not okay if it's not failing it's definitely not succeeding either so um so yeah so i think anything that anything that you can do to try and at least put the brakes on that would be really really helpful I suppose. Yeah.
2: Well, well here's a here's a challenge then. I mean if, if Andy ever listens to this is is have a chat because I'm not going to say if he's right or wrong. Mm. What you need to do is let the people at the front or the coalface as it were tell us if they are failing or not. Mm. And, and that's what we're doing with the the well being and it also involves burnout as well. Where are people's mental health at the moment as well? And in terms of the experiences they're having, and that's what we're capturing, the experience that they're, they're having. Hmm. So he could try and trial this in a force, in a department, in his own department, yeah. and we come back with the, the very much like data. We'll come back with data to show what's happening behind the smiles, behind the pats on the back, behind the, the yeah, we're doing really well, we're moving forward, and we could, we could capture where a police force is at that time and moment, mm, mm. which is something they've never had before. Yes, mm. you have the annual survey, but for me, the most interesting thing about the annual kind of personnel survey is who doesn't do it, yeah. because generally those are the people that you're going to get the answers from, and who are most mostly disengaged or could walk out the door tomorrow to, if they found something else in an escape route. Yeah. So yeah. we're capturing those people and getting a false impression of what's going on, Hmm. until we get to the experiences that their officers are having day in, day out, and capturing that and saying, wow, yeah, Yeah. this is where we need to fight that fire. Hmm. Their team experiences, their leadership experiences, so many people are in burnout, what are we going to do about it? And and then we can start, and I call it, throwing darts in the dark. That's all we're doing in the police service at the moment. Hmm. Being seen to be reactive to these things rather than proactive. Yeah. And just yeah. throwing darts. Oh, let's see if that works. Some of the darts will hit yeah. the, the target yeah. by luck, pure luck. And that will give a false dichotomy in terms of, oh, we, 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 we're sorting this out. We're managing it. The next dart you throw will be miles off and we're back mm. to square one. Yeah. Until you get that kind of cut through with a big knife, that force and say, what is it doing and what's it experiencing from the bottom up? Mm. Can't actually find the light switch to put the the lights on and then throw the dart because yeah, yeah. we'll hit it time and time again. Yeah. And I we're suppose, trying to put the lights I on. I suppose the piece
0: of that the piece of that puzzle that absolutely needs to be there is that you need to have a top team who are um, receptive mm-hmm. to you know as, as my wife my <laughs> wife would say you don't want someone who's got happy ears. You know, because far too many people at the top only want to hear good news, don't they? They only want to hear Mm -hmm. the things that will, you know, put a smile on their face. They don't want that. And they're very happy to just shovel all of that stuff onto the carpet because I just hope it's all going to go away. Mm -hmm. But it's but of course it doesn't. It only gets worse, doesn't it?
2: It does. And as you say, that top team need to be courageous and, and look at themselves in the mirror. And, and not somebody else telling them who they are, but let themselves have that space and time to say, yeah, I'm in the right job. Or, mm. and, we're, and we're talking hard truths here, am I the right person here? And actually, what gaps have I got? Where do mm. I need to fill those gaps? And I can't pretend to know everything. Mm. But I know good people. And who do we promote to get that knowledge? Who do we promote and listen to? When I was back, back in, in the Met, I was on the... Um, Commonwealth head of government's meeting, hmm. which was fascinating. I was in the SOR, the special ops room at, at Lambeth. And I went into a silver meeting and there was so much scrambled egg around that room. Hmm. But the, the PC in terms of giving them advice on public order was a PC and they listened to him. And, and it was really, it was literally a week after I had that meeting up in Wakefield and it put my faith in human, human nature that, I don't know everything. I'm, I'm vulnerable here. I need to use somebody who's got that knowledge and expertise to give me that balanced view of what actions and yeah. strategy do I take?
0: Well, I think, I think that's where the police, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's tons and tons and tons of things that the police are absolutely superb absolutely. at as an organization. Yeah. And yeah. I do think in that very sort of, um, in those sort of disciplined areas of particularly around public order, where you have individuals who've got been through, Uh, many years of experience, all sorts of nationally accredited training and qualifications. And they are there in the room for a reason Uh because, because they are the best people to paint the picture around a particular issue. So I think we're quite good. I think we're quite good in that sort of pre-planned large scale event type stuff where I think we're shockingly bad is in the day-to-day kind of, um, you know, PCs, pearl PCs and sergeants and inspectors all over the country are sinking, sinking under demand, much of which is nonsense and shouldn't be coming to the police in the first place. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of a plan around trying to turn that tap off um, and let them... Get back to doing something that I think the public would would agree is the job of the police, you mm. know. And that's where I think we're going to struggle as a as an organisation because it just doesn't seem to be a plan
2: around that at all. Yeah. Just going back to that kind of public order situation, and yes, we've got good people in in post there. We could take that to a, a whole new level. Mm. How many of those people are actually in burnout? How many are are, are, are struggling and how many of the are the best people to deal with the complexity of their role and and this is what we're looking at we're basing on one is innate talent what's are we are we born with in terms of that thinking cognitive ability stress everything else we're putting it together in a holistic way but how do they deal with complexity do they operate in a, in a simple area the complicated which is where most of the specialists are that kind of the next level up is that complexity level where we need to set seeds and and try new things rather than old patterns. And finally, it's it's the Knefin model actually we're using. The the top there is who can actually deal with chaos. And those are your Mm. kind of polymaths and and people like that. If we align that to the complexity required for the role, then we start getting that balance and understanding and self-awareness as as part of it. So Mm. yeah. Uh, I I hear what you're saying, but let us if you look at S.O.R., if you remember in in the little pods of people that had a specific job to do, Mm. if we look at who is in each each of those roles, we take it to an even better level rather than just look and, oh, I like to do that job, so I'll apply for it. Are you the Mm. best person for that role? And it's a hard question to ask because once Mm. people are in there, one, they're trapped, certainly Mm. in terms of promotion –
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't lose... Yeah. I mean, how many times... I mean, that's a very good point. How many times have you seen someone who you know isn't good at the job that they're doing? Not because they're lazy or because they're uh, stupid, but it's just not there. It's not... It's They're just not cut out for that job. No. But if you try and say that to them, they take it very personally and, and they say something akin to... Uh, um you know I know this job makes me miserable but it's my job and I don't want you to take it away from me and and actually you know that if you were to put them take them away and put them in a different job that is probably more aligned to their strengths they would be a lot happier but it's it's a very strange situation is it you've got to get away I mean it's hard isn't it though to give someone that message without it sounding like a like you're attacking them or you know judging them or yes.
2: yeah that's that's the beauty of the psychometrics because we're not they are mm-hmm. telling themselves actually your happiness in life is is down here why is that? And you're not getting that success at work that then breeds more success and happiness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that calmness at home or um, how you're feeling about yourself so it's allowing people to tell themselves, we, we've done, we're looking at um, aviation, which is again, is in a kind of a, a critical stage at the moment and assessing pilots. It's fantastic. fantastic. That's probably the wrong term. But again, like police, they don't want to say I'm in burnout. I'm in mm. stress. And, yeah. and my competency levels are, are being um, upset. So I'm not enjoying life basically. Mm. I don't want to say that because if they lose their license and not flying, that's mm. the mortgage gone, that's potentially the family gone. And we saw this a lot yeah. through COVID because their structures and systems and work practices, just going to work each week was mm. totally disrupted and they're desperate to get back to that kind of stability and, and where they were.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. But putting the, letting them have this time, and it's almost, they don't like to call it, but it's like a gamification of it, mm. of, of knowing who you are. Putting the data in front of them, time and time again they're thinking i can't get away from this can i that's where i am that i've told myself who from a subconscious level what's happening to me and what's happening to my family because of it as well yeah yeah and putting in front of them is a such a powerful instrument that they can't run away from it they can't lie to themselves
0: yeah yeah so where can people find you david um it's a really it's really fascinating i'm just sorry um, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile there, but uh, better that you. So, so what's the company called? Uh, the
2: company is called Able and Rush.
0: Able and Rush, and 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 does that got a website? Is it the they same? Have. Is it yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah? Is it a one word Able and Rush dot or something? Is it dot com dot com? Okay, yeah. brilliant. So
2: and and I'm actually can I can I just I'm plugging a book here.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm so. joining
2: your club. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> and and Adrian's, mm-hmm. so that should be out in September. So that'll unravel some of this as well in more detail and explain that 31 and what's it what's it called it will be called strange enough speak up listen down all right good
0: (laughs) excellent and uh, that's coming out when did you say
2: end of september
0: brilliant fantastic well Well done, In you. The
2: editing and looking at all the typos at the moment, so all right, okay, take a while.
0: <laughs> well, can I recommend to you? I'm not getting any uh kickbacks from this, but can I recommend to you Grammarly? Grammarly is a great online AI powered tool which looks through your documents, your writing, and will find all the annoying syntax, grammar, yes. it'll reword sentences and paragraphs to make them read a bit better and it's very it saves you a lot of time so I thoroughly recommend that
2: brilliant that, I'll, I'll look into that that would be fascinating yeah.
0: yeah brilliant listen David it's this has been really fascinating really interesting and uh, we could talk for hours Um, but unfortunately but the format of the the uh, podcast whilst I like getting into detail with, with people it's um you know I don't want to kind of destroy people by forcing them to listen to hours and hours and stuff but um Thanks, a million for coming on. My pleasure. I've, re- I've really enjoyed our chat, and um, yeah, cool. I look forward to uh, reading your book when it comes out. And uh, yeah, we'll have to catch up. And well, we we kind of like, you know, we're we're sort of both quite active on LinkedIn, aren't we? So yeah, uh,
2: yeah, and it's that passion, isn't it? We want to want to see it work. That's the yeah, 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 and people. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I
0: mean, I'm very, you know, I'm very conscious of not wanting to be sounding like this sort of person who's always banging on moaning about, Oh, it's all fucked. And <laughs> what are we going to do about it? And blah, 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 You know, I'm desperate. I'm as desperate to find solutions. Yeah. And I've got, you know, from a, from a business point of view. So I'm now working with a, with a, with a tech tech startup, looking to transform the way that digital investigations are, are conducted yeah. uh, for policing. And, yeah. um, I'm really excited about that and getting lots of interest. And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, it's like, you know, every day is a school day, isn't it? None of it us have is. all yeah. of the answers, have we?
2: Yeah. Hope. That's it. We need some hope. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen to definitely. people. Yeah. The yes. answers are
0: there. <laughs> Listen, my friend, thanks ever so much. Cheers, Ian. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll catch up soon, yeah?
2: Yeah. You take care.
0: You take care. Talk Cheers, David. Say. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh... Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: We had a policeman, he was often in our street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his beat. But now we never see him, it really makes us frown. No
0: longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town.